Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to talk about one of my most exciting new discoveries, and that is blood flow restriction training, which I perceive to be the greatest innovation in exercise training in the last century and maybe even longer. So I've got a lot of videos and written information on that, but briefly, it's one of the reasons I'm so excited is it provides a practical tool, a resource that virtually everyone can use to get the, the benefits of conventional strength training, which uses really heavy weights, typically 70 to 85% of your one rep max, which can be significant and precludes that from most elderly people because they just can't lift that heavy weight. So blood flow restriction training run done properly will provide almost all the benefits and then some. And we'll probably touch what some of those benefits are uh, later. But we have the person who is responsible for bringing this marvelous innovation to the United States because it was developed by a Japanese professor Sato in 1966 and remained in Japan, still is to this day, until literally this decade. So Stephen Munitonis, who is on with us now, is going to share his story. And I think it's really important because this, to me, is a major historical landmark, bringing katsu, which is the name that Dr. Sato described blood flow restriction training, to the United States. If it wasn't for Stephen, we probably wouldn't be talking about this now because it would still be restricted to Japan. And it, a lot of it has to do with the Japanese culture. Stephen speaks fluent Japanese, and I'll let him tell your story specifically, but he was basically the intermediary that facilitated the, inter the bringing this blood flow restriction training to the United States. So welcome, and thank you for joining us, Stephen. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I am so grateful that you uh, provided this radical innovation to the United States. Obviously, you didn't invent it, but you facilitated the introduction, and it was a long and painful process. So I want you to give your backstory, your history, how this whole story happened, because uh, the world needs to know, because I'm convinced that blood flow restriction therapy training is going to explode, and they need to know how it got here and why. Yes. Well, Dr. Sato, as you said, um, invented it in 1996. And then when 1966, right? I'm sorry, 1966. I apologize. And for the next seven years, he experimented on himself. And why did he discover it? He was actually at a Buddhist ceremony, uh, sitting on his heels, and he felt his calf uh, get very, very uh, tight, just as if you did uh, some heel raises with the barbell on your shoulders. And he was thinking, "Gosh, my my calves are are tightening up." Um, what could that physiological process be? 
One thing led to another. Over seven years, he experimented with bicycle tubes. He experimented with every kind of uh, strain and strand and rope that he had. He put uh, bands on his legs, around his waist, in his chest, arm, forearm, even his forehead to figure out what he thought was restricting the blood flow. But as he was a human guinea pig. He was a human guinea pig for seven years. He kept meticulous notes. And how he judged uh, success was, was the, the muscle mass increasing? Initially, that was his um, uh, parameter. And he would do various things. And ultimately, after seven years, he found out that if you put bands on the upper arms and upper legs uh, of the human body, not only could you improve your muscle mass, but also your strength and your performance. During this seven-year period, he did not do katsu on anybody. It was, it was, it was just a self-experimentation. Then um, he figured, hey, a lot of other people need to do it. So he started a very small office uh, just uh, west of Tokyo, within the Tokyo fun, uh, confines, and he continued to treat people over the next 20 years. And over those next 20 years, he found out other things. He started to work with other researchers. He started working with uh, cardiovascular surgeons, with internists, with endocrinologists, etc. All of this information was limited to Japan in the Japanese language. And so all of this data, all of this uh, clinical uh, research, the academic uh, research was all limited to Japan, basically Tokyo, and the University of Tokyo Hospital, where he had um, colleagues. And so come 2001, um, I was asked, because of my uh, linguistic abilities in Japanese, to be a swimming coach for the uh, U.S. national swim team at the world championships that were in Japan. And that's when I first found out about Dr. Sato. And the Japanese uh, coaches introduced me to Dr. Sato. I visited his office in, in Tokyo. I saw a huge line of people waiting to see him at his office. And the people would come out quite happy. I'd, I'd ask them in Japanese, how do you feel? They say, I feel great. I asked them how they felt before, and they felt they felt a strain my back, or I had broken my finger, or a variety of injuries and um, ailments. And so when I met Dr. Sato, he said to me very uh, softly, he's a very humble man, uh, very, his very soft voice, and he says, oh, I was waiting for you. And I said, oh, really? I said, I didn't even know about you until three days ago. And he said, well... I've been anxious to share this with the rest of the world. He says, I think everybody in the world should be doing katsu. I said, well, Dr. Sato, why haven't you shared this with the rest of the world? And he said, well, there's two reasons. I don't speak English and I don't travel outside of Japan. And so I said, well, I do those two things. And I said, well, I'd like to learn. I want to try this. I want to learn about it. Um, I was not thinking about business at all. I was merely thinking about myself and my parents um, because I saw all these people going to Dr. Sato's office and they were all elderly, elderly by, I would say, over the age of 50. And I was in my uh, mid-40s at the time. And he said, 
great, please come and I'll, I'll teach you everything. I want this information to be shared with the world. So I said, Dr. Sato, um, I have to go back to the United States, but I'll come back shortly. He says, great, we'll take all the time you need uh, and I'll share this with you. Well, that training period took 13 years. <laughs> it was a very uh, Japanese uh, mentorship. Uh, I learned everything. Um, I learned how to wrap the bands, what to look at a person physiologically. We went into the research labs. We did. Uh, we used Doppler machines, ultrasound machines. Um, we we tested and prodded and poked people with blood samples before and after katsu. So he really wanted me to learn um, uh, what was a mechanism of katsu. And that's what I did for 13 years. And that, at the 13th year, I visited um, Japan for the fourth time. I was going to Japan four times a year, visiting Dr. Sato. Um, so that's over, over 50 visits to Japan. Yes. Yes. To, 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 to allow that technology and information to be transferred to the United States. Correct. And remember, when I met, first met Dr. Sato, the, there was no information written. It was all in his head, and he had shared it at that time with about, I would say, 20 physicians or uh, 20 uh, academic researchers. And it was all just clinical information. There was no how-to book. So I had to write a how-to book. I had to capture the information in his head and what he showed me and explained to me and make English words for that um, because there was no English word. The only word that I kept the same was the original Japanese word, which is katsu. And it's, it's formed by two uh, Japanese characters, K-A, which means additional, and A-T-S-U, which means pressure. But it's the additional pressure that the band and the equipment is placing on the on the limbs. And so everything else, all the words, all the explanation of Katsu, uh, we translated over the 13 year period. Um, and he wanted to make sure if, if I was the one that was gonna share this with the rest of the world, that I had at least as much information as possible uh, in, in my brain and in English to share it with the rest of the world. Well, that's quite a story and uh, quite a per perseverance to persist for 13 years and over at four trips a year to, to Asia, which is quite a trek. I mean, that's not, that's not a domestic flight at all, of course, and uh, a lot of time and effort. But, but it, what, so can we maybe discuss the next step is what's, what's actually formation of the company in the United States and uh, supplying the equipment to perform this. Yes. So when Dr. Sato is, is a very clever man, uh, he's not an engineer. Um, and so I had, I had lived in Japan uh, for seven years previously working in Hitachi's um, R&D labs. And, and I had those uh, skill sets as to how to develop a machine, um, how, to, how to create a, a product that, that attempted to replicate what Dr. Sato was doing with his own hands. Um, and so we took, uh, after Dr. Sato said, okay, you're ready, let's form a company. Uh, well, let me stop you there because this is new information to me. So when you said what he was doing with his own hands, could you describe what the early work in the 2000, the prior year 2000 was? 
Did yeah. he have a manual blood pressure pump or how was he getting this, these cuffs inflated? Yeah. So from 1966 uh, to, to, I would say the, uh, around 2000, he simply used elastic pants. Um, wow. elastic, and they were very, very long. And so literally he would wrap the bands around the upper arms and upper legs. And when I saw this and when he would apply it to many people, it was a very laborious effort. You'd wrap and you unwrap. You'd wrap and you unwrap over and over again over the course of 20 minutes. And if you see 10, 15, 20 patients a day, he would literally be dripping in sweat. <laughs> and so my engineering mind said, well, Dr. Sato, we could create some bands, some machines that would automatically replicate that. Now, in order to do that, there was this step. How tight were the bands? What was that measure of elasticity? What was that, what was that tensile strength there? So there was a lot of engineering work that was done uh, in between the, the age of just these elastic bands to the age of where we are now with pneumatic bands. And I, I always laugh when we had to, when the academic researchers and the cardiologists, et cetera, asked us, or asked Dr. Sato very specifically, what is that pressure? We had to find a, a, a measurement, uh, a unit of measurement that was understandable to everybody. So Dr. Sato simply went to the auto, auto uh, uh, parts location and he bought a little device that measured uh, pressure, air pressure. And he put it on the arms. And so in the early days, what we did was we used these elastic bands. However, we put this little device that told us what was that external pressure on the limb. And so we had to do more testing to figure out, okay, how do we keep that pressure consistent and uniform if we did eventually sell thousands and tens of thousands of machines around the world? So there was some engineering effort in there. And, um, and then gradually, as the science developed, as we were understanding that the real benefit here, or the, the, the most uh, profound mechanism, was actually increasing the elasticity of our vascular system. Then we went into, I'll, I'll call the second generation. And oh, we what, 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 why don't you have you stop there and explain what you just said, because it's a bit confusing. Yes. So, so originally, what, when we would do katsu, anybody, it didn't matter if it was a young man in Dr. Sato or a, a uh, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old, we were seeing increased muscle tone or increased muscle mass. So we, uh, Dr. Sato and the researchers, um, uh, uh, theorized that it was replicating heavy exercise and therefore the HGH, the human growth hormones, were being secreted. And that was leading to increased muscle tone or increased muscle mass. But as we started to study more and more with uh, MRI machines, Doppler devices, uh, ultrasound, we realized that it was actually the strength or the elasticity of the three vascular walls, the inner, middle, and uh, outer walls of our capillaries and veins that were becoming more elastic. Mm. And when that happened, there was a, a subsequent or a secondary uh, uh, hormonal response. And now we understand it as, we, as science is, has advanced now, there's a lot of different, uh, very healthful metabolites that are being uh, generated because of this increased elasticity 
of the capillaries and veins. So what is your perception of the, there's so many metabolic hormonal responses from this exercise, but which ones are you referring to specifically with this elasticity of the blood vessels? The endothelial cells was the original one. Mm -hmm. uh, we, again, this is not my specialty, but it was the specialties of the doctors that were in the University of uh, Tokyo Hospital. They saw that increase in endothelial cells because okay. cardiologists were, all of the patients that I was looking at and I was studying under them were people who had cardiac issues. And this is a very important point regarding safety. So sometimes as, as the story of katsu and blood flow restrictions transferred from Japan to the United States to Europe and the rest of the world, there was a focus on muscle growth. Um, there was a focus on uh, you can get bigger, stronger, faster. And that is true. However, all of that fundamental research was done under the work of Dr. Sato and Dr. Nakajima and Dr. Marita specifically, cardiologists at the University of Tokyo Hospital. And our patients or their patients were actually people who had heart attacks, strokes, heart bypass surgeries, and other things. Those were the doctor's patients. And so dealing with people with cardiac issues absolutely required for us to be number one, safe. And having this pneumatic bands that were con under a controlled uh, pressure and uh, you know quite gentle, and with people who, they couldn't even get out of bed, let alone you know do push-ups uh, in the beginning. So we had to be very gentle and very safe, and we were still seeing increased muscle tone. So they were the ones, because of their, their specialty, that first identified the increased production of endothelial cells. Um, and then it led to other metabolites that, that uh, uh, they concluded it was the increase of the uh, vascular wall, increase in the elasticity of the cap capillary walls that led to a variety of other um, effects. Now, I'm a bit confused because after studying this, it, it, I come to a different conclusion. And it, But clearly, the endothelial function is radically improved, which is why it's being used in Tokyo, not this country yet, but in Tokyo and many other places in Japan for cardiac rehab. But because, not because of the elasticity, but because the creating a hypoxic environment where there's relatively low oxygen tension when the bands are compressed and you're exercising the muscle and that catalyzes hif one alpha hypoxic inducible factor one alpha which catalyzes VEGF, which is the strongest angiogenic signal your body could possibly produce very powerful fertilizer for the capillary growth and endothelial cells specifically that's why it's called vascular endothelial growth factor so isn't it this is this more likely to be the mechanism or is this, this elasticity that you're referring to yes you explain it much more eloquently than i did much more eloquently. Okay, um, well, that's just that. That's just, and, and it's not that I figured this out. I mean, it's really clear in the literature. The literature, and you know, because, let me just preface why I'm so fascinated with this. I didn't explain it earlier. I I purchased a unit in May of 2019 and was just astounded, literally astounded. I had played with it before, listening listening to Jim Stray Gunderson, but didn't get it. I just used regular stupid bands. I didn't know what I was doing. That was two years previously, but I finally got the Katsu equipment. I used it. Unbelievable results. And I said, this works. And I didn't really get the benefits from what your company was telling me. So I just dug into the literature, read hundreds and hundreds of articles on it. And there's a lot of well-documented, well-published research on this. And it really, 
explains at a very detailed level what the heck is happening and why it works. Yeah, and, and that uh, research and study is still continuing. Yeah, uh, yeah they didn't stop. It, it, and, and because, for example, um, because of the cost of the original equipment, it, it, it was pricey. Without a doubt, it was pricey. Yeah. It was like 5000 or maybe even more when it first came out? When it first came out, it was actually $16,000. Okay, $16,000. Um, and so, again, the early equipment was very large. It, 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 like anything that an engineered product, we make it better and better, better, and generally smaller, 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 and easier and easier for the average person to use. Um, but in, in, in the beginning, because it was so expensive, people were not using it on a daily basis. And suddenly as our product was getting less expensive, people were using it more on a, a daily basis and they saw even more increase. And it actually took some uh, paraplegics and quadriplegics to really open our eyes as to what is possible. Because these people felt so much better because again, being paraplegic, they have portions of their body or all of their limbs that are immobile for what for a variety of reasons. But they, we were still using the bands on these on these individuals. They started to use katsu two or three times a day, and again we saw another incremental shift in their improvement. Now, so let me just be clear. This, I mean, because people would be wondering, how could they use it if you're going to be doing weight training? This was just the cycling they were doing. You were putting the unit on, it was pumping air in, Correct. maintaining the pressure, and then releasing it, repeating it multiple times. Correct. And then what we did, what their caregivers would do, what we call passive exercise. Mm -hmm. They put the bands on, the air would go in for 20 seconds, release for five seconds, in for 20 seconds, release for five, as the caregiver would be lifting their arm or moving their leg. Okay, passive um, and, and then we saw the people, and, and through Dr. Sato's work with the cardiac um, uh, therapy patients, he would always advise them, or advise them through me, to try to move their arm. And suddenly we had quadriplegics who you know, started to go like this, and started to go like this. Their spas, uh, uh, spasmodic conditions were now released. They were able to move their, their hands a little bit. They weren't necessarily able to suddenly walk, but that simple movement drastically increased their quality of life. Mm -hmm. So as we continue to go along this journey, we continue to explore different uh, mechanisms, different metabolites that are being produced. And to this day, uh, uh, we are still learning, Dr. Sato and all the Japanese are still learning. We're we're still pushing the envelope as to what is possible. Okay, so I want to go back to the early days because I'm curious as to the transition. So you developed this large machine, $16,000 at the initial uh, implementation, which is now down to $800. It's called Correct. Cycle 2.0. Clearly, it's size of a deck of cards, maybe two deck of cards. It's pretty tiny and uh, basically performs everything the individual would need to do. So if you're a professional, you might need a higher level equipment, but any oh, end user only needs the small one. So it's down to that price. But when you developed the unit, you, you mentioned that he was wrapping his patients with these elastic wraps. At what point did he convert over to using these mechanized units? And I assume, I, I don't know because I haven't asked previously, that they're, in Japan they're all using these mechanized units now. 
at least Dr. Uh, Matthews. Uh, Dr. Matthews. So about uh, 2005, uh, the machine was uh, the first prototypes were made, and they went into market in about 2006. So that was the, the transition from the elastic bands manually put on, non-pneumatic, to some pneumatic bands that were, I'll call them semi-automated at that point. Okay, good. And, and so there are still some, and, and remember, at this time, there was only a handful of practitioners in Japan. Once the shift made from the non-pneumatic, manually applied uh, elastic bands to the semi-automatic pneumatic bands that, that physicians uh, and, and physical therapists could actually dial in this specific pressure, then that increased to thousands of practitioners in Japan, from chiropractors and physical therapists to physicians of all sorts. Yeah. Now... I want you to go into some details and explain the uh, manufacturing processes of constructing these bands because just superficially, they appear to, be, appear to be pretty simple. I mean, almost everyone has seen and had a blood pressure cuff uh, applied to their arm. And uh, they're probably thinking, well, just make us a thinner blood pressure cuff. Uh, it would be great if it was that simple, but apparently it's not. And there's a lot of complexities to this. So I'd like you to walk us through how that band was constructed because it's not intuitive that this is a really complex band and why it costs so much to manufacture and charge for. Correct. So the band itself has an air bladder inside and, there, and that air bladder only uh, is inflated to one side. So imagine an, a... Um, a balloon. When you blow up a balloon, it expands uniformly. When we blow up the katsu band, it does not expand uniformly. It expands in one direction, the direction toward your skin. And that does was... It, does a blood pressure uh, cuff blow up, blow up symmetrically too? Or it no, it actually just squeezes. It, it's an inflexible piece of, of uh, plastic that squeezes the arm. And and I wish I had the blood pressure cuff, but it's, it's quite, um, it, it covers the, the whole of it's the a, upper arm. It's a tourniquet. It's a tourniquet. And, yeah, so, and, that, that, and, your, and your, I'll let you continue, but, but differentiate between the tourniquet and what the katsu bands is, because that is a massive and vitally important piece of information that you have to understand if you're going to make the decision how you're going to implement this program. Correct. People say, oh, that looks like a blood pressure cuff. That looks like a tourniquet. And outwardly it does, except the tourniquet keeps the blood out. It occludes momentarily. So the physician or the nurse can check your blood pressure. The katsu bands are specifically designed to keep the blood in. Uh, uh, on a, on a, a practical basis, it reduces the venous flow back from the limb to the torso. Almost it, completely, completely obstructs that, the venous no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't completely instruct it. We call it blood flow modification because okay. there is always blood going in and there is always blood coming out. And that's when your muscle is contracting, right? Correct. So it's not contracting, it's not returning. Correct. The elasticity and the pressure allows it to actually return some of the blood. Correct. And that's why the cycle, pressure on, pressure off, pressure on, pressure off, enables that blood flow to continue. The arterial flow in 
and the venous flow out. And that is very important. So when a person does um, katsu, their, the palm of their hands or their feet become very pink, even a, a, a rosy, a beefy red. Um, and some athletes and very fit people, it actually turns a deep purple uh, because what's happening is all that blood is going in and is being uh, modified coming out. So there is what we call blood pooling in the limb. And that is the catalyst for a bunch of uh, metabolite hormonal uh, responses in the body. Okay, great. Um, so, so, but the, the, I guess here is a good point to transition into alternative uh, devices that are being implemented, but in some cases, uh, primarily physical therapists, you know, med health professionals, but most, almost all new physical therapists now are PhDs. I mean, they're clearly professionals, no question, and well-studied and very good at what they do. But they, and I want you to discuss this, it's a really important thing, and I'm going to actually interview one of the leaders and one of the leading physical therapists sh sh shortly that teaches this, but they for some reason, have, have uh, uh, embraced, was the, be is the best word I was searching for, the pre-existing surgical tourniquets that are used in surgery to completely obstruct blood flow in a limb so the surgeons can operate on them. And they, they have FDA approval, so they can be used by a clinician for anything else that they deem appropriate. And Mostly physical therapists have deemed it's appropriate to implement blood flow obstruction therapy, which is BFO, completely different than blood flow restriction training, and fraught with huge risk, uh, major, major potentials of blood clots and hypertensive crisis, and it's just, it's just a nightmare. And I, I, I don't really understand how they're getting away with this. And it really frightens me uh, because it's such a good, such a, a, a powerful tool. And there's, and it seems to be my, my take on it is because these pre existing devices existed, which are not expensive. They're probably in the range of the price of the new Katsu unit. Uh, and so they were competitively, very competitively advanced before the new one came out. But that would be the only advantage. And these, it seems like these companies are trying to take advantage of that and dual purpose their devices. So what's your take on and, and, you know, explain in more detail what the dangers are. Yes. So I always explain it very easily is I have no problem putting this on my parents. Again, back in 2001, that was the initial. The, the, the Katsu device. The Katsu device, yes. Oh, and, and let me, let's take a little tangent because I'm really curious. How are your parents doing and how old are they? Oh, they're 82 and 83. Uh, they use Katsu daily, sometimes twice a day. They have their own unit. Um, I could tell you all kinds of anecdotal things that, that went well, uh, went, uh, improved with them. Um, uh, they, uh, their, their muscular form is great. Um, uh, they're, they, they're very active. Uh, my mother uses it in the pool and for her arthritis. My father uses it for his varicose veins and while riding a bike. So they use it in a variety of forms. And uh, they've really been my guinea pigs. I knew if I could get my parents to use this, that safely in the comfort of their own home without any problems, both my parents have had uh, cancer um, and they are doing quite well. And every time we develop a new product, 
they are part of our initiative. <laughs> the, the longest used elderly individuals of Katsu in the United States, your parents. Yes, yes. So almost, almost 20 years, actually. That is great. And, and they've, they've used Katsu through hip replacements, uh, knee replacements, um, et cetera. They, they do not go to a physical therapist after their surgeries. They just come home and they know how to use the Katsu bands themselves. Now, of course, I've always been there with them. They live very close to me, uh, so it, it, it's, it's quite easy to implement. That's wonderful, because we didn't mention it earlier, is that it's a wonderful tool for post-surgical rehabilitation oh, and, and really regaining the function in a fraction of the time that you would normally anticipate. Correct. But, but going back to your issue about the difference between the uh, uh, competitive products that are, that are espoused and used by physical therapists and Katsu, we have to go back to the original intention of Dr. Sato. The original intention of Dr. Sato was literally for every person on planet Earth, anywhere, anytime, to be able to do katsu. And that's a difficult bar to, to hit. We had to make sure that it was safe to use for every person on this planet. Um, now, I'm not saying that every person on the planet will want to use this or should use it, but that is our that was our engineering goal to make a product that you could use whatever age in the comfort of your own home without a medical practitioner actually applying it. And so that we had to make rule number one is very safe. Rule number two, easy to use. Rule number three is the person motivated to continue to sustain Katsu. Because if we make a product that's safe, if we make a product that they could use at their own home, but they're not motivated to continue their rehabilitation or their training program, then we haven't achieved our goal. And so we set out to engineer a product that was easy to use and effective at the same time. And therefore, when other products come on the market and you have to go to your physical therapist and you have to uh, use your own medical insurance uh, to get reimbursed or pay for this, we believe that is the bar for uh, global uh, adoption. And so we've been very careful, and that's why our original, our very original um, patients who are using this were among the most vulnerable patients possible, those with heart attacks, strokes, um, clots, um, and other uh, had undergone other cardiac surgery. And if it was safe for them, we knew that it would be safe for most people on this planet. Yeah. Essentially, there's no restrictions for use of this product, as I understand. I mean, it's safe for just about everyone, even pregnant women. Yes. So in the United States, we do not sell to pregnant women because if, uh, you know, sort of the liability risk, something happened. It would yeah. be easy to point to us, but in Japan, that's not a that's not an issue, and that people have to understand when they put the bands on, it's just twenty seconds of pressure on, and then it releases. It's a very momentary uh, 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 amount of pressure that's done, and it always starts off very very gently, and you can put it as as high as you you wish. And part of our uh, uh, company ethos is actually to teach people how to apply it to themselves safely because we want people to use it in the comfort of their own home, in their office cubicle, 
during uh, travel, vacation, business trips, etc. All right. Well, well, let's delve into the two types of katsu training that are available. The one is what pretty much you've been referring to the, this entire conversation, which is cycling and then the training mode. Now, I, I'm, and cycling means just going on and off, 20 seconds on, five seconds off, although with some units you can vary that cycle. And there's usually eight repetitions, although you could use four. But with the training, it's continuously inflated and you're doing heavy exercise. So I'm curious, I didn't realize, but it sounded like what Sato was doing this prior to the mechanized system was available. He was essentially cycling with the elastic bands. Is that true? Correct. Correct. So it's crazy. Yes. And that's why it was so laborious. You'd, you'd have one patient that would do, let's say, 20 minutes on the upper body and 20 minutes on the lower body. But that would, that would mean that Dr. Sato would be wrapping the band on both limbs every approximately 20 to 30 seconds and unwrapping them. Wow. Wrapping them again, unwrapping, wrapping no wonder, them. No wonder why he's so fit. He was working yes. out like crazy for years. Yes, yes. And so that process, the cut cycle, that was actually started in 1973. And wow. I always enjoyed this uh, uh, story. Dr. Sato went on a skiing trip. He broke his ankle. And he instinctively knew or thought or theorized that cuts would be helpful for his um, – uh, bones to heal. Now he comes from a long line of physicians and his father said, you know, come into the hospital, we'll take care of you. And he being sort of the rebellious young son said, no, I'm just going to treat myself with katsu. Because he's well, not, he, just to be clear, Dr. Sato is not a medical doctor. He's a PhD. He, he did not go to medical school. Correct. So he, he wrapped his, arm, I'm sorry, he wrapped his leg with the bands as he normally did. And because there was so much blood pooling, in the broken, uh, in, in the area where uh, he was, his ankle was broken, it was very discomforting. And so he unwrapped it after about 30 seconds. And he says, well, there's a lot of blood going to the injured part. That's a good thing. So I'm going to wrap it again. So that was the catalyst for this cut cycle. And they've been doing that for, for decades now. However, what you are referring to is cuts training. And cause training is when you don't want to be tethered to a machine yep. and you want to go out for a walk. Uh, you're a boxer and you're, you're boxing in the gym. Uh, you're a swimmer in a pool. Uh, you are a cyclist. And so in this case, we inflate the bands uh, to what we call your optimal pressure, whatever the appropriate pressure is for you. And you can untether yourself from the machine and go ahead and do whatever exercise or motion that you want. And we uh, recommend that is limited to 20 minutes. And ideally, if you're doing this between, I would say, 7 and 12 minutes, it's, it's very healthy and very good for you. Okay. Perhaps you can elaborate on when you would use each type. Uh, it seems to me that the training mode might be more, might be better suited if you're interested in gaining muscle mass and strength as the cycling, although they're probably pretty similar with some of the other metabolic hormonal benefits. That's my impression, but I don't know. You've been you're really the pioneer in, it, in bringing it to the United States, so it it really depends on the individual. So if you have somebody who's bedridden, 
if you have someone who is just beginning a training program, they may be overweight, they may be uh, uh, deconditioned for whatever reason, maybe they're coming off of a broken bone or a surgery, um, they're not going to go to a gym, they might not even want to lift dumbbells. So in this case, we can do the cut cycle and just ask them to move their limbs very slowly as they contract the muscles, their muscles. And so that has the same effect as taking off the bands, I'm sorry, taking off the tubes, I'm sorry, uh, untethering the bands and just doing what we call COTS training and lifting the dumbbells. So if you, there are some of our, many of our athletes, they love working out in a gym. That's what they love to do. They don't want to have a machine tethered to them. So in these people's cases, they untether and they go ahead and do their own training as they normally do. Yeah. Let me attempt to get people a visual because this tethering is obvious if you've seen it, but if you haven't, it might be a bit complex. So the Katsu device that you developed, especially the new one the size of a deck of cards, is attached to two uh, plastic, very flexible tubes that actually go to the restriction bands. And the device itself is a pump that pumps air into it. It gets to the right pressure that you preset at. But you've got these long tubes that could be up to three feet long, and it can be kind of cumbersome if you're moving around the gym. I mean, you could attach it to your belt or in your pocket, but it's still, you know, it's still a bit of a hassle. So you can, separ you can separate it and then dis uh, uh, remove it from that, and, and the band will retain the pressure. Correct. So, so – Another interesting distinction I want to bring up because I've tried a lot of different systems, and you could go even at eight hundred dollars with a new katsu. It's still, some people may find it too expensive and search for some less expensive ones. But and they do exist. You can go on Amazon and find them. But but what I've seen is that they're more similar to the blood pressure cuffs. In other words, they're not elastic. They're too wide, and they use a blood pressure cuff machine. They're not manual, so it's really difficult to do the cycling, and even more. I've noticed is that when you use the blood pressure cuff, the manual pump that they used to for, for those, you can't get it accurately. It just goes up and then it falls and it's, and it's really hard to get it tuned in. Where with Katsu, it's a digital system. You type in to the letter, I mean to the number, the single digit, what your pressure needs to be and it, boom, it goes right there. It couldn't be more simpler. Correct. So, yeah, so it's so elegant. There's no other system in the world that does that right now. Correct. And, and that is our, remember, that is our goal. Dr. Sato entrusted uh, myself and my colleagues to share this information with the rest of the world. He entrusted us with his uh, intellectual property to, to develop products that were easy to use, that were safe to use, that are effective to use. And again, my, my database, my, my, my test group, if you will, are people my parents' age. And if I can get an 80-year-old and 80-year-olds to use a digital product easily and simply, and they can replicate that day after day, then we've achieved the goal that Dr. Sato set out for us. Yeah, well, it's my, I would agree with that uh, assessment. And you've created a device that is essentially available to almost everyone. Now, I, I'm going to propose an alternative because I was very skeptical with this and, you know, certainly not willing to make an outlay to invest in this equipment. Uh, at the price that at the time, the least expensive device was over $2,000. Uh, 
So now it's ha less than half that. And still some people will find that too big of a challenge. Although realistically, I mean, and there's in some other investments, if you don't have weights, you're gonna have to get weights. So that might be another 100, 200, maybe even $300, depending on what range of weights you wanna acquire. Uh, but free weights, typically dumbbells. Um, but the toe in the water, so to speak, uh, are, are, are elastic bands that you could buy for $15 on your arm and they're Velcro attached. So they're, they literally can go on in about two seconds as opposed to Dr. Sato used to, you know, prior to the device, I mean, he'd be wrapping that thing. It's, it took a lot longer than two seconds. This may be even a second. And so you could actually even do cycling with this if you wanted to. Uh, it's a lot easier, of course, to do training because you only have to put it on once. Uh, but I think in my view, at $15 is a very low risk investment uh, to at least see if something that you think you can commit to. And once you get comfortable with it and you say, wow, this is a crazy good, then you could take the next step and get the Katsu equipment. It's sort of like a trial. What, what, what's your take on that? Um, obviously, I, um, we always want people to use pneumatic systems yes that's the best There's no that question. is the best and it's the safest so um it, anybody can how they find their way to katsu is is up to them um they could try something else they could they could go to right now because there are so many units out there um not only our units but other competitive units you can try anything we always tell people hey try everything that you want. Uh, again, Dr. Sato entrusted us to share Katsu with the world. We know that we could not possibly have 100% market share. So we'd like people to do research and provide products. We just uh, are hopeful that our solution is the best and some people will be a willing to pay for it and some people cannot. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're hopeful that however way they get to Katsu, they'll find us there. And if it requires a, you know, a, a test, uh, well, well, the reason I mentioned that is that these elastic bands do meet the two criteria. They're thin, they're an inch and a half wide. So they're not the wide ones and they're, and they're not, uh, static. They're dynamic. They, they're, they stretch. Right. So the, the risk of having a hypertensive crisis or a blood clot is almost identical to the katsu. Uh, it's not as good because you're not gonna be able to be as precise, you're not gonna get the cycling as precise, but you should get benefits with virtually no risk and at least enough to be intrigued with the process to make the investment. Yes, so again, um, how, how people uh, find their way to us is great. Um, we're just very thankful again Dr. Sato entrusted us, um, the Katsu Global team, uh, to share this invention with the world. And thank you, Dr. Mercola, for uh, uh, first of all trying it, and uh, you know, on yourself at your home and walking on the beach, etc. And we we love for people to take the same path as as you did. Yeah. Well, you know, my initial strategy was to try it with bands that that were not effective. I used the wrong bands and they uh, actually were somewhat risky, although I'm pretty healthy, so it wasn't a big of a deal. But if I had had a stroke or a heart attack, you know, and I had really poor clotting factors, that could have been an issue. I could have, I mean, it could have taken me out early. Uh, so I think, it, but if you use the smaller bands, I think it's fine. Uh, and 
at least you know it works. And then it's a commitment. And, and, but the, realistically, at the price point now, it's, it's less expensive than almost any large piece of gym equipment, like a treadmill or a, a recumbent a bike, a stationary bike that you, you pick up. I mean, they're going to be probably more expensive, like a, especially or an elliptical machine. I mean, these are all pieces of equipment that are typically well over $1,000. So, uh, and, and in my view, in most every case, is a pretty serious mistake and a really poor investment. If you're doing it to improve your health, and this is coming from someone who exercised for hardcore cardio for over four decades, so I'm not saying it without some substantiation and personal experience, that, and I regret doing that, that I think it's a poor investment in use of your time. I think you're gonna get far better benefits, especially these metabolic benefits. Now you get some from car from cardio, but you're not going to get the same ones, and you're not going to get the same ones, especially as you age. When this becomes the, the older you are, the more important this becomes, which is why I was so curious to how it was working for your parents. Correct, and and we always tell people, yes, it's eight hundred dollars, and but we have this product that people should use and can use twice a day. Let's, let's just assume that you go on vacation, you have some days that you may not use it, so you're using it 300 days a year. <laughs> if you're using it twice a day, that's about two and a half dollars a use. Now, if that eliminates the need for you to leave your home and go to a fitness gym and come back, this cost savings is significant. Yeah, as, as opposed to a gym membership for most people. now. Now, I do want to interject, too, that in my view, at least, and especially reviewing the literature and knowing a lot of competitive athletes, that I think there is benefit to do both. Oh, so that if you are a serious competitive athlete, you just don't want to do katsu and nothing else. You do your whole entire regimen, which may include and should include conventional strength training, but the combination of both of them is beyond extraordinary. A absolutely. Uh, we always say that katsu is a great overlay, a great addition, a great enhancer, to those people who are competitive athletes, who are, uh, you could be someone who wants to make a varsity team in high school or college, Olympics, pros, whatever. Do what you do, what you do to make you the best that you can be and get that advantage with Katsu. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, in my view, the use of it for competitive athletes is a, is a really small percentage of its value. I mean, it's great, but you know, who cares? I mean. This, this is something that can radically transform the healthcare system because we all need exercise. There's just no question about it. The older you are, the more you need this. And the, the, it will not necessarily, it should improve your, your lifespan, but more importantly, it's going to improve your health span. In other words, it's going to keep you healthier, longer, free from disease, uh, fully mobile, not frail, being able to have your normal daily activities and move around like you were designed to and actually improve, improve your mental clarity and acuity. So it, it, and it does, these metabolic benefits, metabolic benefits are profound. You know, one of my passions is NAD, which is nicotinamide, adenine, and nucleotide, a very important coenzyme in your body that become, has become re more recently appreciated in the last decade. Some of the work out at Harvard and MIT on sirtuins, the longevity proteins. Well, the exercise in general, but specifically 
blood flow restriction training in Katsu can increase your NAD levels by 30% and there's no charge. Some of these NAD pre-supplements and pre or supplements and precursors, they're like a dollar, two dollars a day. And this is, I mean, that alone can justify the cost of the equipment because you're not paying, paying for expensive supplements because you're having your body make this. And it does work. And you know, we've got documented studies where just the exercise, nothing else will increase your NAD levels. And that we know has profound influence on your health span. So it, it's just a miracle in a box is what it is. And I just, I, I couldn't be more passionate about encouraging people to consider this as one of the most valuable tools in their armamentarium to keep themselves healthy for the long term. And one of my greatest disappointments in life is that I failed to find this prior to my parents passing away a few years ago. And I, I did encounter it while they were still alive, but I never, it never clicked. I never got it until two years later. At that time, they were already gone. So I'm sure it could have added another five or 10 years to their life and, and improve their quality to ambulate and not be restricted to a walker or a wheelchair. Yes. Yeah. And again, that was my original goal. How can I help my own parents as they age to remain as active in my children's life, their grandchildren's lives as possible. And, and it's so far proved uh, uh, an immense benefit. Yeah, that's a noble goal. And I congratulate you for doing that and uh, really serving your parents well. I think that's what we're ultimately, one of our responsibilities is. Uh, I believe there's a, a lot of good support for that to honor your, respect your parents and take care of them like they took care of you. They brought you into this world and you need to make sure they're well taken care of as, as they age. And one of the best things you can do is make sure that they, they maintain their health and, uh, you know, be with them. Because it, one of the, here's another important part that, uh, that is many people don't understand. But you, when you become frail, when you lose muscle mass and you go into the hospital, you radically increase your risk of not coming out of the hospital alive. I mean, the risk of complications and disasters when you have low muscle mass and you're frail is enormous. So when you're, if you, if you, you need this reserve, and if you don't have the reserve and you go in, you're not going to come out. So not only do you have to have the reserve, but then of course you, as a, as a child of your parents, you want to go in with them or make sure someone else is in the hospital because the hospital is a very dangerous place, and there's a good chance you may not come out alive just from a simple, stupid mistake, not intentional mistake, and it doesn't matter. Once you're dead, you're dead. So someone's got to help you and monitor and make sure that no one's injecting something that shouldn't be there or giving you medicine that was someone else's or the wrong strength or dose. I mean, it's a dangerous place. So, uh, but, but having muscle mass improved by uh, the katsu or blood flow restriction training is one of the most important strategies in my viewpoint to, to keep yourself healthy and out of the hospital. But if you ever happen to go in, you're more likely to come out alive. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to express my deep and sincerest appreciations and gratitude for all the persevering work you did in bringing this incredible tool to the United States. Uh, I mean, it was, it takes a rare individual to, to do that. I, I truthfully, I wouldn't have done it. I absolutely would not have done it. I would have not have gone to Japan four times a year for 13 years before I was able to get into the U.S., that was just too big a barrier for me, but I'm glad I didn't have to do it and you did it. So, uh, and, and I'm glad I did it. It yeah. was, it was a long road. Yeah, it was a very long road. I think, I think it's important for people to understand that because they think, Oh, this is some marketing game that they're trying to hype. No, this de decades and decades and decades and engineering reiteration to get this thing at a price point where it's affordable. So, and usable and, and available to 
almost everyone. So congratulations and thanks for all your efforts. Thank you. And I have to tell you, I didn't know the end of the road. Dr. Sato surprised me at the, in around the 13th year. He said, okay, now you're ready. <laughs> and, so, and my guess is, and maybe you can comment on this, I think that's an artifact of the Japanese culture. Yes. Yes. It's, because that they would that would not happen in America. So can you comment on that or maybe you yes, ab absolutely. I mean, I I learned uh, the Japanese uh, way of thought, uh, uh, their pro their social protocols, uh, the expectations of of uh, the respect between different levels of society. And I knew, or I had hoped, that at some point Dr. Sato would say, "Yes, you're ready." except whether you're a, uh, a young person trying to be a sushi, sushi chef, uh, a young person trying to be a Japanese sword master, a kimono maker, it doesn't matter. You don't know what that length of, of mentorship will be, or apprenticeship will be. Um, if you're good, it might only be eight years. If you're not good, it might be 18 years. In my particular case, it was 13 years. And so, that, that's crazy because in medical school, which is one of the most rigorous academic training uh, professions, after if you don't count medical school, I mean, it's typically a minimum of three, but sometimes eight years. I mean, the, I don't know of many places where it's longer than eight years as a residency program, but you did 13. <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, thanks again. And, uh, you know, we're going to make this information available. And I hope. One of my goals now is to really help everyone understand this and make sure they are aware there's an available option that can radically change your life. Thank you very much again. All right.